This is the Do It Scared podcast with Ruth Sukup, episode number 79. On today's episode, we're talking to author and eight-figure entrepreneur, Dr. Angela Loria, about drawing your line in the sand in order to build the business of your dreams. Welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and each week on the show, we will talk about how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and most importantly, how to take action and create a life you love. Today's episode was brought to you by Elite Blog Academy, our online program that teaches you step-by-step how to build a successful, profitable, and sustainable online business. Whether you already have a business or you're just thinking about starting one, EBA provides a comprehensive and proven approach to refining your message, growing your audience, and generating a sustainable revenue. With more than 11,000 students in 60 countries worldwide, we know exactly what works and what doesn't. And our goal is to help you create a business that you love. If you are interested in finding out more, we invite you to join our free training just for podcast listeners at doitscared.com slash EBA. Once again, that's doitscared.com slash EBA. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. As always, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I'm the founder of Living Well, Spending Less, and the Living Well Planner, as well as the founder of Elite Blog Academy and the New York Times bestselling author of six books, including my newest book, Do It Scared. In today's episode, we're chatting with my incredibly brilliant friend, Angela Loria. Angela is the founder of The Author Incubator, a business dedicated to helping authors write and market their books. Her program has an insane success rate over 99%. And in just over five years, she's grown her business into a $10 million company with more than 40 employees. Guys, I told you, she's brilliant. And yet, as you'll soon hear, she's actually been scared almost every step of the way. Angela has so much wisdom and insight to share, not just about growing a business and a team, but about pushing past your comfort zones and daring to draw your line in the sand. And ultimately, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about taking the time to learn from people who have walked before us so that we can ultimately create a life and a business we love. Because in the end, courage doesn't mean we're never afraid. Instead, courage is being scared but taking action anyway, despite our fear. It's putting one foot in front of the other, even when we're not quite sure where the path is going to lead us. All right, so just a couple more quick things before we dive into today's episode. First, as always, you can download the show notes for this episode by visiting doitscared.com slash episode 79. Once again, that's doitscared.com slash episode 79. And then if you haven't already, be sure to head over to doitscared.com to take your free fear assessment to find out exactly how fear might be showing up in your life and potentially holding you back as well as to discover exactly what you can do about it. Also, if you have any questions or if you just want to share feedback on this episode, please send me an email or message me on Instagram to let me know. And then without further ado, here is my friend, the wonderfully brilliant and amazing Angela Loria. 
Hey, Angela, welcome to the Do It Scared podcast. So excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. So, oh my gosh, so many things I want to talk about with you today. And um, it's hard, a little bit hard to know where to start, but your entrepreneurship journey in particular is so incredible. And so many things that I'm going to pull out of that. Let's just start with the broad overview. So where you are now and how you got to be doing what you are now. Yeah, so I um, I actually went to school for what I do. I was journalism major, and one of my professors recommended me for a job working for a New York Times bestselling author my senior year, spring break of senior year, for $10 an hour. And <laughs> I spent 19 years kind of going from job to job in the book world. So I was a publicist and I wrote book blurbs and I used to ghost write books. I think I ghost wrote 29 different books on very exciting topics like investing in Hong Kong and the first amendment and a bunch of <laughs> yes. riveting topics. Really, um, really interesting books. I was an editor. You must be great at Trivial Pursuit. I, I will say I'm pretty good at <laughs> trivia over Board games in general, but yes, I do know a lot of <laughs> random things. <laughs> yeah, and I was uh, I was just reminded of this earlier, but the way I got through college was I actually charge $10 a page to write people's term papers. So no way. A wide variety of knowledge. Yes. Now, entrepreneurship from an early age. Right. <laughs> totally true. That's so funny so, that then it took you that long to actually become an entrepreneur from your author journey? Well, so I always, I went from one freelance job to another. They, I started at $10 an hour and by 19 years in, I was charging like $50 an hour for some clients, which felt like a lot in the world. Yeah. I would usually discount it to 35 because it seemed like too much. And, um, and I did, you know, books and writing and white papers and journals. And I was just always getting referred. But because I think because I got this job in college, I was always waiting to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. (laughs) So I was like, when I graduate, I thought I was going to get a job at a newspaper. I wanted to be an investigative journalist. So I was like, well, I'll like I'll apply for jobs and then I'll go on interviews and I'll get a job. That never happened for me. There was no applying. I was always getting these book jobs. And I was like, as soon as I finish this book job, I'm going to go get a master's degree. And then I finally did that. Perpetually waiting for your life to start. Perpetually waiting for my life to start. I got my master's degree. I actually got a PhD. I got my master's degree. I got a job. I didn't like that. Then I went back for a PhD, got a job as a professor. I was terrible, but it felt like a real job. I'd finally yeah. got like my first real job. I got like an F on rate my professor. It was terrible. <laughs> they hated me. It was awful. I bet you were a super intimidating professor though. You know what? I don't even think I was. You weren't? I was just, so, just I was so scared. I was so petrified every day going into the classroom. I was afraid they were going to ask me a question I couldn't answer. Oh. And so I had notes and I read for my notes. But then I really didn't want them to ask me questions. And I was like, I just like, I was so stressed out that whole year. It was the hardest thing I ever did. So you only did it for one year? One year. Wow. I was a disaster. (laughs) 
And it was, did you leave voluntarily or did you get fired? I did leave voluntarily. So I did spring semester and then I did fall semester. And then I left at Christmas. Like I could have gone back for spring semester, but I couldn't handle the pressure. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I went back to what happened was I got a book writing job. It was this um, book on like Windows server backup systems. And it was a four book contract to write about SQL server backup and like a whole variety of things that happen in network operations. Very exciting. <laughs> that sounds like a, my version of hell, I think. Right? Right. Four books about that. Yeah. But it was like four books in a year for $100,000. And, or $55,000 I was making as a professor. And I was like, this is a job I can't refuse. Like, how can I turn this down? Yeah. So I took that job and I was writing these technology books and I wrote books on um, identity theft. And I just kept taking these jobs, trying to figure out what I was going to be when I grew up. So I did all the quizzes. That's why I love the do it scared quiz, because I love being a personality test. I really wanted them to tell me what I was going to be when I grew up. So you're still waiting, still looking, still waiting. Still waiting. And I did this life coaching exercise with my coach. Her name is Brooke Castillo. She had us break off in pairs and we interviewed each other 10 years in the future. And it was an interview just like this one. We pretended that we were on a podcast and the podcast host was saying, so how did you get here? And we had to do answer this very question for the podcast host. Wow. So you've had practice at this. So I've had practice at this. So this was, um, this was August 14th, 2010. So almost a decade ago now, almost a decade ago. Really? And yep. And so Allie, who was the woman who interviewed me, she was like, so how did you get here? How did this all happen? And I was like, well, I just realized I loved writing books, but I only wanted to work with women who wanted to change the world. So I, I put my foot down and I said, I'm only going to work with women. And I got a lake house in West Virginia and people come to my lake house and they write books and we talk about marketing them. And I only work with the exact kinds of people that I love who are making a difference and who care about personal development and spirituality. And so now I live in a castle on the river in Virginia so it's not exactly not almost, almost a lake right. house in West Virginia. <laughs> and people come to my house and write their books and talk about writing their books. It's about 85% women. It's not all women. But I have no idea why that came out of my mouth that day. So you had, that wasn't like a pre-planned thing. You didn't know what you were going to say. It just is what came out. That is insane. Yeah. And Allie was my very first client. So I said this to her and she's like, oh my God, I want to write a book. I'll be your first client. And she signed up right then and wrote, wrote a book with me. She actually just published her second book yesterday, um, but wrote a book with me and started a new career for her and reached six figures in the first year of us working together. And wow, that's kind so of that how was it. Happened. So that's yeah. how it started. And then what? Because now, like, let's talk about it fast forward nine years and let's talk about your business today. 
Well, I started my business so I could get paid to read the books that I was reading anyway, pretty much, because I'm a book nerd. I know you're a fellow book nerd, so you understand this. And um, then what happened is there were too many people and I couldn't read all the books. It was impossible. So I had to hire people. And I thought the way this would work is I would give them money and they would do what I asked. But it ended up being my biggest personal growth journey, learning how how to motivate people, how to build a team, how to create a company culture. Like none of those things were my goals. But we now have uh, we do about one point five million a month in revenue. We have 44 employees and we have this incredible team culture and community. And um, it's like. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. And you don't really get credit for it. Like getting a PhD is like there's an award ceremony and there's an event and a way to acknowledge it. But building an amazing team that's passionate about your dream and is creating your dream for you. Definitely the coolest thing I've ever done. So we help about 400 authors a year now get their books done. That's amazing. That's amazing. And now, and you have just written a book. Public, well, you've written multiple about, books. Yes, about this very process. I actually but just got the process. Yes. Got the proof. So it's called Make Them Beg to Work for You and uh, Seven Steps to Find, Hire, Manage, Reward, and Release All Star all-star players to help make your dream a reality. And it is really about building an amazing culture and workplace because what I've found is we've helped people get their books written and then they sabotage their success because they are so um, afraid of building a team and it's so challenging. It's like a whole new skill set. Like they just learned how to write a book and they just learned how to get clients and now they have to learn how to build a team. So I really wrote this for my most successful clients who I saw them capping their success around the 1 million mark because growing any bigger was going to mean building a team, maybe even having office space and all of that just felt like too much. So they're playing smaller than I think they could. I love that. So how did you get to be so good at this? Because the, like you're really good about good at it. And clearly you wrote this amazing book and, but you've also shown how to do it through your own company, which you've grown to over a $10 million company over the last, how many years? Five years? Yeah. We started in February of 2013 is when I officially quit so my game. So that's insane. I mean, that's insane. Nobody grows like that. And you, but you have. And so let's talk about that. How did you, how did you get to be so good at it? How did you, and how do you get so many amazing people who want to work for you? Because this is, this is your special gift. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. It, it's not, I, uh, I am uh, on the autism spectrum. So I'm Aspie and I am <laughs> better, which like what Aspie people are amazing at is, and like better than anyone else is like doing one thing alone. Like we are the perfect lone wolves. And I always got the doesn't play well in the sandbox stickers, like all through my career, education, whatever. Like I don't quite get other humans and how to work with them. And what I'm going to, I really do believe I'm one of the world's best editors. Like I'm an amazing editor and I do this thing. I couldn't teach anyone. I like eat a book. I don't even read it. It's like, I, 
consume it and chew it and spin it around and I can spit it out in different ways. And it's like an amazing skill that was really cultivated by the fact that I never got along with people and I was alone in my room reading. (laughs) And so when I had to do this, build a team, I either had to cap my own growth or build a team. I think I approached it in that like obsessive Aspie way where I read everything about building teams. Like if there's a book out there, like E-Myth, Top Grading, Good to Great, Rocket Fuel. Like if there is a book out there about how to read a business, build a business, like I read it, I ate it, I tried it, I did it. And every single one of them failed. Like nothing I tried worked. And I, I was like, I, I know I'm like implementing all these strategies. I read it, I implement it, I hire the people, I do the things and it's not working. And I hired this woman, totally changed my life. I actually dedicate the book to her. Her name is Ray. And she told me why none of it was working. So she basically said, if you want me to do a job for you, like you can pay me and I'll do a job for a little while. But if you want me to give you my heart, if you want me to give you my time and my brain power, there has to be something in it for me. And all of the guides out there, I call this in my book, I call this ending dick centric business practices. But what I mean, I know it's like a little bit obnoxious, but what I mean is like so many of the systems out there are hierarchical. Mm-hmm. So, and it's built on this model of patriarchy. I'm not actually saying anything about men in particular. I'm the mom of a boy. I love men. Like it's fine. But there's this idea of, um, there's someone ahead of you, that's the boss, and they're going to tell you what to do. And in exchange, they'll give you money and you're supposed to shut up and do it and don't complain. And that's what all of these business books are built on. But like millennials will not stand for it. They're like, I'm not giving you my time for any amount of money. There's no title. There's no amount of money where I'm going to trade my life and my time. A lot of people say like millennials are entitled. They're entitled to everything we should all be entitled to. Loving their job, not wasting their time, being aligned in what they do. Like, so I was like, oh, I'm going to have to figure out how to create something that's not just for me, but something that serves my employees. And it was really easy for me to create something that served my clients. So I started thinking of my employees like a client group, like I'm here to serve them. They're not here to serve me. Interesting. So what were some of the changes that you started to make? What did that, what did that actually look like? Like what were you doing? And then what did that start to look like for you? you So like just in terms of hiring and interviewing, Mm -hmm. I put out a job posting for, and this could be for a freelancer, for a contractor, for like I used to use Upwork or Fiverr, or it could be posting something on LinkedIn, but any kind of employee, I would write up a description of all the tasks that they would be doing. Mm-hmm. And then I would have a conversation with them about how they would do these tasks. Maybe I would ask for examples of how right. they do these tasks. Which is it, pretty typical. Pretty, like, right? Like what else are you going to do? Put a job job description out there, ask for people to apply and then do a regular standard issue interview. That's yeah, that's what everybody's doing. 
Right. So now, I mean, I couldn't, my brain didn't suggest anything else, right? Like right. if I need someone to make book covers, I'm going to put a job posting up that says, will you make book covers? And then I want to look at their book covers. And if the book covers are good, I'm going to hire them. And I would do that. And then the people would quit or they wouldn't be good or they'd be late or they'd be like, so I was like, what if this whole system is wrong? What if coming up with a list of tasks and seeing if you can execute the tasks is the wrong way to do it? So I flipped the script. I threw all of that out and I changed my system of recruiting employees to match the one that I used for recruiting clients. I started thinking of my employees like clients and I had them tell me why they would want to work here, which meant I needed to share more about like if I'm, if I want you to write a book with me, I'm going to tell you about our book writing process. I'm going to tell you about our success stories. I'm going to tell you about my background, why you should learn to write a book for me. I started doing all of that for my employees. Why should you work here? What do we stand for? What would working here be like? Like, let's just assume you have the skills. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But why would working here solve a problem for you? Just like why would buying for me solve a problem with you? I realized employees were buying from me with their time, mm -hmm. just like, like clients were buying from me with their money and also their time. Right. So you started looking at it more from almost like a marketing perspective, it sounds like. Totally. So I was like, why the hell would someone want to work here? Like yeah. I could come up with reasons why even now, I could come up with a reason why I, at having a business that's over $10 million, I could come up with reasons why I might want to work at Facebook. I could come up with a reason why I might want to, I don't know, go work for Gary Vee for a year. But what were the reasons someone would have for wanting to come and work at the author incubator? So if did that, that, why would they know it? Right. So then as you started asking yourself that question, then that did that then start changing the way that you ran your company because you wanted to have better things to market and it had to be true. Yeah, exactly. That's the key, right? Yeah. So with, with, uh, with your employee or with your customers or your clients, you do this all the time. You're like, well, if I want more customers, I should make a better product. We never think about this with our company. I had to make a better company. If I want people to give me 40 hours a week, like it, that they could be spending with their kids or their family. Like we all know we can be in Vietnam with our boyfriend for $10 a day. And I want them to give up Vietnam with your boyfriend. It better be freaking good. So <laughs> that's an interesting example, but okay. So oh, what yeah. did that... Vietnam, you have to go. It's so beautiful. I want to go. It's on my, it's actually high on my list, Cambodia and Vietnam. That's it's, top of my bucket list right now. That's my fantasy. When I think about quitting my job, I'm Is going it? to Vietnam. That's where you're going to go. Ugh, it's like I my favorite go. place. Really? Yes. Maybe so. we need to start planning a trip. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So back to my question, which was how did that... How, what, what did that actually look like when you started improving your company then and realizing, okay, I need to make a better product. I need a better company to start marketing. What did that, what were specific steps that you took? Well, so I started with the things I loved. So I love personal development, self-help, spirituality, metaphysics. 
And so I started talking about those things more instead of saying books, I would talk about the exact kinds of books. So the way we talk about this is um, our mission at the Author Incubator is to amplify the voices of magic makers. And I described what magic makers meant. So number one, if you're somebody that believes in like witches and metaphysics and changing the world and uh, quantum physics and all the things I'm interested in, that would make you want to work here. Because if you're going to spend 40 hours, it might as well be on something you're passionate about. So and that could be whatever you're passionate about. Right. But I talked about the things I actually are looking for people who are sold in to you. It doesn't matter what everybody wants because you're not looking yeah. to attract everybody. You're attra- looking to attract your perfect people. My perfect people. Yeah. Just like I do with my clients, right? Like if you want to write a book about, I don't know, let's just say Windows Server Backup, we're not <laughs> the best place to come for that. It doesn't mean right. I couldn't help you. I clearly could. Yeah. Because you have experience not, in that. <laughs> as it turns out. But you're not going to look at our website and be like, this would be the best place to write our technology yeah. book. Right. And that's how you attract your perfect clients. So you're just translating that into employees, which is kind of brilliant. And so many businesses and companies don't do that. And I mean, people are afraid, I think, even with their with clients, like being polarizing towards their clients. And this is a really good example of that, of how important it is to be polarizing, to draw your line in the sand and to say, this is who I am. You either want to work with me because this is what you want, or you don't want to work with me and you will hate working with me because this is exactly who I am. And that makes, that makes you be able to make sure that the clients that you attract are the perfect clients for you that you're going to then be able to help get the best results. But you're now applying that to your team members also. So you're saying, this is who I am. This is who I am as a person. This is who I am as a boss. This is what you can expect when you come into this company and you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. I am either going to draw you in and have you be my super fan or you are, I'm going to repel you because you're going to hate my guts, right? Yeah. And you won't even apply, which is a great thing. So like, I actually did have one cool case where there was a woman who's a huge, um, like libertarian and culture fan. And, uh, one of the other things that's really important to us are like very political liberal causes. And we write about them on all of my web pages. It says black lives matter. Like I'm very politically polarizing. And this person came in from the opposite side of the spectrum um, she was like, looks, and she, I think it would be great for your organization to have someone from the right working there. She's like, I still believe in personal growth. I believe in personal development. This is how I think we do it. And having more voices, like you believe in diversity of voices. This is the diversity I want to bring to the table. And she sent us donuts every Friday for like two months. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So did you beg to work here. You know, we didn't, but we did. I would have not interviewed her and we interviewed her with a very open heart Mm -hmm. and we're like really because she was begging to work here like she understood she was coming to play on our you know on our field and I'm really bad at sports analogies but (laughs) she was coming to play on our field so she was showing up in a way that was really powerful and endearing even though we didn't believe politically in the same things 
So I've been super clear about what our whole company's passions are about book topics, about politics, about social justice issues. Um, We are like a trans friendly workplace. We're very clear about that. Um, So we put, they're my beliefs, but now they're our beliefs because everybody who's come to work here, like it's because we share them. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of why people would want to dedicate so much time. So our staff is between 22 and 75. So we have a 22-year-old, we have a 75-year-old. Okay. Yeah, in age. Wow, that's a, huge, so, that's a huge spread. And, there, and you can think of like 40 hours a week at 75, pretty freaking valuable. 40 hours a week at 22, like still really value. Like, how are you going to like start your life? It's a lot of people's first job working here. It's such a huge gift that your employees give you. And so the fact we're all aligned and trying to create the same kind of planet makes it so fun to be together all day. Yeah. So what do you think the biggest mistake is that small business owners make when they're trying to build a team? So you, you finally get past this this point, which is like this, I call it the ceiling where you're solopreneur, you're doing everything yourself. You're scared to hire people. You max out, you can't do anymore. You have to hire people. And then it's, it's a super scary, whole new world. I mean, not just the expense, but the trying to get other, trying to get people to be as passionate about your company as you are trying to get them to do things as well as you would do them. There's so many different aspects of hiring people and the, just the interpersonal drama that goes on. I mean, there, you could go on and on. There's so many reasons why it's scary and hard. What are the biggest mistakes that people make and how do they avoid them? One of the things I've noticed is that people are very, entrepreneurs are very scared to hire because very often they've been burned before and me too. And they imagine that somebody they hire is going to immediately provide a return on their investment. So let's just say it's 5K a month. I'm going to spend 5K. I'm going to get 5K at least of work out of this person, ideally 10K. So I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they wait a really long time to hire someone, like until they're dying, drowning, starving. Yes. And then they immediately expect that person to work out. So there's a whole thing in hiring where people talk about um, hire slow, fire fast. I think it's the opposite. I think you should hire fast and fire really slow. Really? I know. Crazy, right? Yeah. The thing, if you're thinking about hiring today, even as you're listening, listening to this mm-hmm. podcast and it's terrifying and you can't feel like you can afford it, you don't feel like you can afford it, hire someone immediately. Like you want to hire someone right now. And yes, it's going to be scary, but it will put you in a place where you have no option but to go get that revenue. And if you think about it, how often have you missed your car payment? How often do you miss your rent payment or your mortgage? Like you have a basic set of expenses that you've always made. If we add more to your expenses, which you have, you've gotten a more expensive car, you've gotten a more expensive mortgage and you somehow made the payment, that's because there was no option. So I want people, especially female entrepreneurs, and I know there are a lot of female entrepreneurs who listen to the Do It Scared podcast. Yes. Um, I want female entrepreneurs to know you can trust your intuition and it's still going to be wrong 50% of the time, but nobody's going to die. 
you have to see if it's going to work. And the only way you can tell a lot of times is hire someone, give them some work, start to onboard them and see if it's working. So that's the first thing. Don't wait until you're drowning to hire because then the pressure is too high. It's why I don't like launch-based business models. Launch-based business models, every time you launch, you're like, this launch better work or, oh my God, I'm going out of business. Yes. I don't like to be hungry when I'm selling. And I don't like to be desperate when I'm hiring. If my time is I'm working 90 hours a week and I'm not sleeping and now I have to train another person, it's not going to go well. You're setting you both up for failure. Yeah. So yeah, that's really, that's really good advice. I, have, I actually have an example of that to drive it home is because I've been guilty of both. I've been guilty of waiting way too long and being desperate and making bad hires from that. But also in the case that you're talking about, um, I had, this was early on when I still only had a couple people. I only had one assistant working for me actually. And she was great. I hired her, but she had her own business. So she was, it was one of those hires where she was wonderful because she knew how to do everything. She was another blogger. She had her own blog that she was trying to grow. And so I didn't have to really train her, which was wonderful, but it wasn't so great because she had her own blog and she, that was her priority. And that was, I knew she was never going to be bought into my business. She did not want to be number two. She wanted to have her own, her own successful business, which I completely respected actually, um, because I wanted to have that too. And yet I knew that I could, there was a, there was a time limit to when, how long she was going to be able to work for me and how long she was going to be happy working for me. And so I took her out for lunch one day and said, here's what I'm thinking. We need to hire somebody and you're going to train this person. And I, in that time, in those six months that you're training this person, I'm going to pour everything I know into training you so that you can in six months be ready to leave me and go start your own business and do all the stuff. And so that's what we did. I would take her out for lunch once a week and she would ask me all the questions about everything. Like, how do you do this? How do you do this? And at the same time, she trained my Natalie, who still works for me to this day and who is amazing. And it was, it was one of the best things I think it's in terms of hiring that I've ever, that I've ever done. I mean, I guess, believe me, I've made lots of mistakes in hiring. This but is what I mean. Best ones. This is what I mean about ending dick centric practices in business, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's such feminine energy. Not that a guy couldn't come up with that idea, but it comes from a place of like feminine wisdom and leadership to say like, we can all eat. Like she can be a successful blogger too. And the reason I say fire slow is because someone doesn't have to leave quickly just because they're not going to stay. So that's such a great example of like, all right, she's not the forever solution, but what would make it worth it to her to hang out long enough to train Natalie? Yes. Came up with a perfect way to do it. And it's not just firing quickly because she's not a hundred percent committed. It's coming up with a collaborative solution for how do we create an exit that feels awesome or a pivot in the role. Like a lot of times with our employees, they come in in one role, it's a disaster, but we can find another that's a better fit. That's a better fit. Yeah. And we've done that a lot in our company too, shifting people around. But I think the other important thing to talk, think about that from what you're saying is that if I would have just looked at it from a, I have to get my money's worth out of everybody that's working for me right away, it, that would not have been the right solution. Because clearly I, it, I was paying more money to pay two people 
to be and one to be training the other person at the same time and then investing my time into teaching somebody how to not work for me. And there was a lot of on paper financially, it might not have that might decision might not have made sense. But from a long term perspective, I look back and it's one of the best things that I ever did. Yeah. It's, this is why I say like these feminine leadership principles, like hire fast, trust your instinct, fire slow, collaboratively find exits. These are things that are not in any other business book out there. One of the other things I always remember thinking was true was uh, you got to get the right people on the bus and get them in the right seats. Yes. That seems all the time. That's good to be great. That's Jim Collins. Yeah. Yeah. You don't don't believe in that one either. Oh, you know (gasps) what? What? You're trashing my favorite book here. It was my favorite book too. And then I realized there's no bus. I wake up every morning and we're doing something different. I'm coming up with new products. What are the right seats on the bus? There's no no bus. Okay, that's kind of brilliant. I'm going to give you that. Very sad, but I like when we say get the right people on the bus and get them in the right seats, I think that's true of, I don't know, some government Depart the health department in Wallingford, Connecticut, like that hasn't changed in a hundred years. Like, but as a startup and as a female entrepreneur, where we're going to have lots of opportunities to adjust and iterate and change our mind, we're not just like making a widget and it's not going to change. But we're yes. doing different things as opportunities evolving all the time. Yeah, there's no bus. Yeah. There's, that's a really good point. I actually, I think I'm going to use that. I'm meeting with my team tomorrow for a quarterly meeting and we're changing a lot of stuff and we change every quarter. It's like, I'm rolling out new stuff and the org chart changes or different things change. And sometimes I feel like they think, oh my gosh, is this girl crazy? She changed like every quarter. There's something new. That's because of a startup. That's a startup. Right. And I think there are all these ideas about business from like, you know, business school and ideas that are out there that like, we're going to have it figured out one day. Like, I'm like, maybe it's when I'm at 20 million. Like, what's the day I'm going to have it figured out and things won't change. It's not happening. There's no day it's done. It is the, the creation is the process and you get to be creating with me. Like we're in the band together. That's the great thing about having employees. But I think there are these missed expectations where employers feel terrible that we can't just lock shit down. And employees feel frustrated because they could be so good at their job if we would just stop changing things. But the truth is, our job is to change things. It's to change things. Yes. Yeah. And that things are going to keep changing. And if you don't want them to change, then you have to go work for the government or something. Mm -hmm. Go work for a startup. So that's why those values and principles become so important because those are the things that don't change. Like I can promise you no matter what we do, we're going to care about spiritual growth of the planet. I can tell you no matter what we do, I'm going to care about equity and social justice. Those things won't change. Whether or not we're selling a three-day event or a two-day event or no event or an online course or whatever, Mm -hmm. like printing services, like that's going to change all the time. But our values, our company culture and our mission won't. And that's why you can sign up to be a part of this and give me so much of your time. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Those are, that's really good advice. So let's talk a little bit about the role of fear in your life Mm. business. You took the fear assessment and what is your fear archetype? I'm the outcast. 
I'm not surprised at that. Like, I could have, I would have told, I would have told you that you were an outcast. I could have told you that. I'm I not, from one out, from one outcast to another. Um, but you, you don't seem like an outcast to me. <laughs> I don't. No, I, you're so likable. It's I, not the same as a. It's not the same as being likable. You're likable too. That's not. It's. Outcast is more of an internal thing because it's more, it, well, they're all internal things because it's the, the underlying fear that holds you back and keeps you stuck. So you've done a ton of personal development. And I mean, even when you say that you're a little bit on the spectrum, like clearly you've done a lot of work to even be able to be as personable and work with people and be as intuitive as you, as you are. It's not like you've managed to figure out how to, live with that and use it to your advantage versus letting that be something that holds you back. So my guess is that you probably, you might've scored as an outcast, but it's probably not impacting your life terribly at this point. And, um, but the outcast fears rejection. So the way that the outcast deals with that, and I know this because I'm also outcast is that you will reject other people before they can reject you or the outcast will often be very polarizing and put very polarizing statements out there as almost a way of drawing that line in the sand to say, okay, take me for who I am or reject me. But now if you reject me, I already have a reason why. Yeah. (laughs) And it's been, this is part of why I say it was so hard for me to build the team because the whole thing I had to do is get over my biggest fear. I had to actually build these relationships. This is the thing about money for me. I was able to hide behind of like, I'll just pay you, you do your job. If you do it, I'm happy. If you don't do it, I'm mad, but there's no real relationship there. It's just a transaction. Mm -hmm. And that fit perfectly with my outcast, but actually building, I always say we're like, um, the cast of a Broadway show, like the cast changes, new people come in, people leave. Um, but it's like, we'll always be like a cast of a show. We're not quite a family, but we're pretty close and we spend a lot of time together. And that's really hard for me. I love being the lone wolf. I've got that down to a science. (laughs) I can see that. Well, and for the outcast, trust is always a hard thing too. trusting other people, trusting that you won't be rejected, trusting that other people will do what they say they're going to do all of that. So I, I get it as a boss. I get it. And trusting if they don't do what they say they were going to do, it doesn't mean the end of our relationship. Ooh, that was the big one for me. Cause like, I don't want to collaborate with anyone on anything. I just want to do it myself, but there's no way to get a business here on your own. That's true. So then as much as I had to trust them to do it right, I had to trust them to do it wrong. Cause by the way, I do it wrong all the time too. Like yeah. I make a promise to myself to finish chapter three of my book and then I don't do it. And I still have to hang out with me like that. I can't just like kill myself. Like that's it. I have to come to terms with the fact that I broke a promise to myself. So realizing that it's not a rejection of you or of what, of, of even their abilities or any of that stuff. And if they don't do exactly what they say they're going to do, giving them the grace that you would give yourself. Yeah. That's hard. 
That's so do you have, are there any other examples that you have of that in your business of that, that you've either seen your, that your outcast nature hold you back or impact you or just any other fears that you've had in your business that you've had to work to overcome? I mean, I feel like this whole thing is a big fear. <laughs> like it's like diving into the pit of snakes every day. For me, um, a lot of what I do, and I don't know exactly how it ended up this way, but I've always been really good at using a book to build a business. And in the personal development space, what that's meant is teaching people how to make money from a book. So most of our authors make about a quarter of a million dollars from their book in the first year. And that means part of my job is to talk about money. And really, most of my friends and all of my family would prefer that I not talk about money. (laughs) And so there are other ways I could have marketed my business, but the truth is that's the biggest, that's the biggest unique thing that I do. Like that's the thing I'm amazing at. I'm amazing at teaching people how to make money and using a book to do it. And I've had many people very close to me say like, could you please stop talking about money? Like it's making us all uncomfortable for lots of reasons. How much money you have, how much money your clients have, like, like the fact you can make money, that money is, I talk about money being magical and you can have as much as you want. Like all of this is unacceptable. And I had to make these really hard decisions about who I wanted to be. Like, did I want to be somebody who talked about money? Were my relationships more important? And what it actually, and could I continue relationships with people who just didn't really like how I did things? And in the end, the, a lot of relationships that were super valuable to me, I had to lose in order to build my business. And I have new relationships that are different and people that totally accept me, but I had built so much of those 19 years of being a freelancer and kind of hiding um, on agreements that I agreed to not get too big for my britches. I agreed to not make too much money. I agreed to not be too pretty, not be too smart, not be too successful. Like just keep it at a dull roar. Yeah. Cap it. Yeah. Just like, you don't need to go too crazy. My mom would say like, don't rock the boat, honey. (laughs) You don't need to be such a boat rocker. So I am officially a boat rocker. And then I had to make this decision. Does that mean I'm a boat rocker with a mom who doesn't like having a boat rocker? Am I a boat rocker without a mom that I have a relationship with? Like, what exactly is this? And for me, with my mom, I'm super lucky. But with my mom, she, it took... It's a lot of work. I mean, it was probably eight years of hardcore boundary setting and training. But like my mom is 100% on board. She got with the program and now she's like, why would I not want a daughter who's a boat rocker? Like, this is amazing. I got the boat rocker. But it took a long time of me saying, hey, if you do not want a daughter that's a boat rocker, I am happy to back out of this thing. And it was like that learning those things that don't seem like they're about business in so many areas of my life. That's the power of entrepreneurship. It just seeps into everything. You have to show up a hundred percent. That's a really good point because it's 100% true. You have to, and you do have to make those hard choices. I mean, and I think anytime you are a successful entrepreneur, 
you have to make even harder choices because you might think it's hard to struggle. And if you're listening to this right now, thinking about starting a business or at the beginning of stages of your business, and you're like, oh, I just want to get to a point where I'm making $10 million a year. Trust me, more money, more problems. It doesn't solve everything. And if you don't get clear about who you are from the beginning, and if you're not willing to make hard choices at the beginning of your business, they only get harder as you go on. And so you have to be, you have to be okay with that. That's yeah, you'll just get stuck at that level, right? Yep. Yeah. And the feeling, so one of the biggest challenges or one of the scariest things I did early in my career, maybe a year, year and a half into my business, I hired a business coach and it was $60,000 for the year, which could have been a million. It didn't, it was not an amount of money I had ever imagined having, like if I had $60,000, I think I'd put it towards my mortgage or something. Like I wouldn't even know what to do with it's 60, not 000. a responsible decision. At least it didn't seem like it at the time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and so I had it on a credit card. I mean, I did not have this money at all, but I had $20,000 open on a credit card. It was actually 22,000. And I made the first payment of $10,000 to this coach. And I did not tell anyone like I did not want anyone to know. I like gave a virtual stranger $10,000 and a promise to give him $50,000 more. Like no way was I going to tell anyone. And I was like, I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to make this money back as quickly as possible. And then I'll tell people I made the investment. And I was just like terrified, terrified. Mostly I was terrified my mom would find out. I don't know what I thought I was going to mom get. I don't know what I thought would happen. And um, recently I hired a coach and it was $250,000 and it felt exactly the same. Like no different. Cause it's, but I bet in both examples, you are going to work harder than anyone in, and you're going to take everything that coach says completely seriously. I think people don't get that about, it seems great when you make crazy decisions and invest in yourself in crazy ways, it pays off over and over and over again, because you have no choice then, but to, I mean, right. you see that with your students because you, your, your program is very expensive and you have people begging to get in there. And once they're in there, they have no choice, but to, no choice. but to do the work. They have no choice. And that's why you have such an incredible success rate. So I think people listening might be like, you know, it doesn't matter the number. Maybe you're thinking about spending $2,000 on a program or 10,000 or whatever feels scary to you. The idea is, well, I'm going to spend this and then I will never feel scared again. Nope. I feel just as scared now, if not more. I do know that I have survived this feeling. So I have more evidence that I can survive being scared. And by the way, not every investment that I've made has paid off and I've survived that too. So like I made a big investment last year, total disaster, like no return on investment. Like I've hired people and spent $100,000 on their salary. Maybe not that much, but $100,000 salary and it took six months to fire them. And so it's not like I make no mistakes. It's that I know I can do it scared and still survive. I love that. That's, I think... Like the that's best like lesson. Get better and better at being scared and it works out and it doesn't work out, but you're still there and you just go do something else. 
Yeah. I think, and I think that's a great point too, because once, when you do do the things that don't work out and you learn something from them, it gives you not only the courage to try other things, but also those are the best lessons. The the things that don't work out, you probably learn more from, don't you think? Oh, those are the things where you're like, oh my gosh, best, best thing that ever, like best and the worst thing that ever happened to me. I feel like that a lot with my mistakes. One of the, uh, one of the like scariest and hardest things that happened in my business is, um, let's see, this was a couple years ago. Now my whole bank account got cleaned out by a scam. So hundreds of thousands of dollars were just sucked out of our bank account and gone forever. And we couldn't make payroll. Like it was terrifying. Thought we were going to go out of business. I really thought it was the end. And at the moment I thought we were going out of business. I was completely like, how do I tell people like mortified, humiliated, embarrassed. And then I was like, well, here's the thing. I'm just going to start another business and make money again. Like I knew even at the same time, it felt like, well, this is as bad as it gets. Hundreds of thousands of dollars are gone and we can't make payroll and we're going to have to fire everyone. Like my next thought was like, okay, what am I going to sell? <laughs> like, That's so true. And I think that that's the great part about starting your own business. And even when it's a failure, because eventually you learn enough about what works to know that I could do this again and again and again, even if this all goes away tomorrow, I will know how to start over and rebuild and I will be fine. Like there's nothing, then it's like, you don't really have to be scared of anything that happens in your business. Isn't that so cool? It still feels scary, but it's like, you can't take away these skills. You can't take away being an entrepreneur and having done it. Right. We'll just do that again. (laughs) Yep. And I think that that's even more true when, when your road to success has been filled with lumps and bumps, because if you, if you just had some like fluke thing that happened and you didn't have to work for it or fight for it or have all these mistakes and lessons along the way, then you wouldn't know how to repeat it. There'd be no way to repeat it. But when you have to work for it, then you get some, you gain something that nobody can ever take away from you. Even if they rob your bank account. Yeah. (laughs) It's totally <laughs> like that's a mic dropper right there. So let's finish up few final questions that we always ask everybody. First of all, how do you practice self-care in your life and your business? So I schedule it first and I recommend this to everybody before I do, I do annual planning. Um, I know I have other planner nerds around here. So, <laughs> uh, so I just did my planning um, for next year. So I about three months, uh, before the end of the year, I'll plan for the year. And the very first thing I do is schedule self-care days. So I schedule one a week and I have some clients who will do a week a month. So they work the first three weeks and whatever's left in the month, they'll schedule for self-care. But I believe everybody should take one week or five days a month for self-care. And then I schedule all those appointments, what I'm going to do. I schedule Netflix binge watching. I'm not going to lie. If I don't schedule it, it won't happen. (laughs) So it's on the calendar. You are on the spectrum, aren't you? But it's like sometimes you just have to like veg out and watch TV. But if my schedule doesn't give me permission to veg out, I will just keep putting it off until I'm in my 60s or something. Yeah. So I just have to. That's actually kind of brilliant. So what do you, so you schedule your Netflix, what other type of stuff? So I schedule, I do, um, I do acupuncture every week. 
Um, and then I usually do a massage or cupping or something after that. So I definitely have a couple hours of that. I do, um, I was going to say physical therapy. I don't know. It must feel like that personal. I have a personal trainer who comes three times a week. She is a physical therapist, but, um, so I do that three times a week. And if I don't schedule it, it won't happen. And if I don't pay for it, I won't go. Um, so I just know that about myself and it's just built into the plan. Um, I, one of the very first things I did before I hit a hundred thousand dollars is I hired a personal chef. I know that sounds indulgent, but I want to teach everyone how they can do it right now. Um, I went on Craigslist and I put up an ad for a personal chef and I asked them to tell me how much they wanted to make. I had somebody who worked at a restaurant and was making $10 an hour. And they came to my house instead of the restaurant job at four o'clock every day. They made dinner and lunch for the next day, cleaned up all the dishes from the day. So, um, and then got everything ready for the next day. So I didn't do any cooking, like, but somebody came over Monday to Thursday from four to seven o'clock at night. I would go pick up my kid from school. I'd bring him home. Dinner was on the table, all the plates were put away. And then I would pile the plates in the sink all day long because I worked from home and I didn't want to do any dishes. And then when Dominique would come over, she would do the dishes. She did a load of dishes every day and made dinner that night and lunch for the next day. I could handle breakfast. Amazing. It was $40 a day. And it bought me wow. so much time. It was four wow. hours a day, $10 an hour. I got to go pick up my kid without multitasking. I got to have dinner with my kid and actually enjoy it and not have to clean up the dishes. So that I still do. Um, it's not $10 an hour anymore. <laughs> uh, but I am very glad. It doesn't I never mean it's not possible. So good. Wow. So that's my favorite self-care advice ever. Right there. <laughs> so worth it. Unless you love cooking. I feel like if you love cooking, it's therapeutic. But yeah. for me, it was like must feed child or may lose yeah. child. Child will be taken away by authorities. So there's only so much microwave macaroni and cheese that I could serve. And eventually I just broke down and, but yeah. great investment. And it's so much cheaper than you think at the end of the day, there's restaurants that are hiring people for 10 or $15 an hour. And you can definitely afford that. It's one wow. client. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Question we ask everyone, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received and why? The best piece of advice I ever received is from my coach who I mentioned earlier, Brooke Castillo, and it is this, and it is the reason why I'm a millionaire. Here it is. Pay attention. Be willing to suck. I love it. That is it. I put things out all the time that fail. I think people think I have some sort of golden, I don't know, touch or whatever, but I fail all the time. I fail much more than I succeed. I just don't make it mean anything about me. So um, I'm like willing to put stuff out there and for it to not work. This, the new book, Make Them Beg to Work for You. I've never written a book about team building. I'm not really an expert in team building. I've only done it with my team. I've never helped anyone else really build a team. I'm, I've like 
helped friends and people in the industry casually, but I've never been paid to do that. I've never been trained to do that. This whole thing could be a total disaster, but I know my story is valuable. I know that it's helped some people and it may not be like my future teaching people how to build teams, but it may be like, I don't know. I'm willing for it to suck. I'm willing to learn from the experience. I love that. That is awesome advice. All right. Final thoughts. And then let us know where we can find you online. Yeah. So I, um, I want to say for everybody who is listening and loves this concept of doing it scared is the, the, uh, I was going to say the best piece of advice. I told you the best piece of advice is But one of my favorite things, and I remember reading this in New Zealand, I was like on a very long hike um, on the South Island of New Zealand. And there was a guy ahead of me on the hiking trail with a shirt that said, if you're not standing on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And that is definitely how I live. I love to push things to the limits and watch other people do that too. And I know if you're a Do It Scared podcast listener, if people have read your book, you have already sort of raised your hand and said, I'm willing to do it scared. I'm willing to at least explore doing it scared. And I can say for me, that's where all the magic is. Like I wasn't scared for 19 years as a ghostwriter. I was not scared when I was doing publicity work or like anything I did in my career. But when I really became an entrepreneur and I said, I'm going to step out, it feels every day like I'm naked in Times Square, but I'm going to step out and be the fullest expression of myself. It's never not been terrifying, but it is so worth it. So I love that. Yeah. So good. And, and there's no better way to step out naked in Times Square than to write a book. So the com. you can get this book, Make and Beg to Work for You, and all my other books for free on the website. You can go to Amazon and pay for them. Um, and if you're somebody who likes to hold a paper copy, um, definitely do that. But if you want a free PDF version, I'm happy to give it to you. Just go to theauthorincubator.com and you can get any of my books or learn about writing a book with us. And guys, Angela is brilliant, literally brilliant. And her program has an insanely, what is your success rate? 90? 99.6%. 9.6%. So it's an investment, but it's worth investing in yourself. Thank you, Angela. Thanks so much for having me. Okay. So don't forget that if you would like to get all the show notes for this episode, along with all the links to everything we just talked about, you can find it all at doitscare.com slash episode 79. Once again, you can get all the show notes and the links on our website at doitscare.com slash episode 79. And then while you're there, be sure to also take our fear assessment to find out exactly how fear might be holding you back. And then if you're interested in entrepreneurship or growing a business, go take our free training at doitscare.com slash EBA. And then before we go, I just want to say, as always, that I love hearing from you. So if you have any questions about what we talked about today or any other topics you want to see addressed here on the Do It Scared podcast, any guests that you'd like to see interviewed, please feel free to reach out either via email or just by messaging me on Instagram. And that about does it for this episode of the Do It Scared with Ruth Suga podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you liked what you heard, I would absolutely love it if you would post a review on iTunes. And then while you're there, be sure to subscribe to be notified of new episodes. 
And speaking of upcoming episodes, be sure to join me next week for another Get Ruthed coaching session. Guys, I'll be dishing out the tough love as we dive into another growing business. And there's definitely some golden nuggets that you won't want to miss. And I will catch you then.